Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Mesmerized. We have a special guest with us tonight, my buddy Joe DeMeo from SNY. Joe, what's happening? Not much, Tim. How are we doing? Doing good. Doing good. Trying to... um. I guess trying to absorb all this information we're getting on a, on a pretty rapid basis these days, uh, or I guess over the last few hours we're recording, it's around eight o'clock on Monday night. So, uh, we've been hit with ML, uh, the, the players association's rejection, the, uh, I guess the ball being left in Manfred's court. Uh, we've had some A-Rod rumors bouncing around all day, but, uh, we're going to get to everything in, in, in due time. Uh, Joe, first things first, I want to pick your brain about the Mets draft. Um, it seems that, you know, the last few drafts there, they've really been selecting well, uh, they've been positioning their, their picks the right way and kind of allotting their funds in the, in the right way to, to get the guys and sign the guys they want. And, uh, even in a, in a truncated draft this year, it seems they, they kind of went about their business in a similar fashion. And, uh, it looks like it could pay off for him. What are your, uh, what are your initial, initial takeaways? Yeah, I, I think it's the same, you know, strategy as last year where they said, we're going to make this draft, you know, obviously there's other players that have a chance to make it in, from last year's draft. And I'm by no means am I trying to dismiss the last three picks that they made this year. Cause that, that would be very rude. Um, but ultimately they, are banking the draft on their top three picks, which I think makes even more sense in, like you said, this truncated draft with Pete Carl Armstrong in the first JT Ginn in the second, and then Isaiah green with the comp pick. That's really where they're basing their draft around. And for me, notably JT Ginn, much like Matt Allen last year, where they really manipulated their whole draft to make Matt Allen fit. They're manipulating their whole draft to make JT Ginn fit. Don't know exactly what JT Ginn's going to be getting yet, but it's going to be a lot more than his $1.4 million slot value for number 52 overall. It's probably going to be at least two and a half. So you're going to be a million over easy for Ginn, if not, if not more than that. Just, That's probably closer yeah. to like back end of the first round money, right? Yeah. So, you know, somewhere in the 20s, um, which... He would have he would have gone higher than that if he had not gotten Tommy John surgery in March and mm -hmm. he pitched this whole season and there was a season and Corona, all this stuff didn't happen. If there was a season and JT again pitched healthy through the season, I don't think he would have been there for the Mets to pick at 19. Forget thinking about 52. Uh, so big time upside, my opinion, potential number two starter if he can really figure out that third pitch and clean up his delivery a little bit, which he was in the process of doing uh, before everything shut down, but he could have three plus pitches and he's got the build. Yeah. A, a potential real steal there at 52. Oh yeah. What I'm hearing. I mean, first round talent, um, you know, definitely certainly has projectable stuff. Uh, I guess the changeup is becoming more and more part of his repertoire. And I think that's going to be important, especially as he, uh, ascends through the system and through the, through the levels. Um, but yeah, if they can make that work, that's huge. You have him and Allen and, and Josh Wolf coming up together. I mean, that's a potential, uh, sizable chunk of your rotation in five years. Um, I love the the competition aspect of it. I think competition breeds excellence and and having three, you know, strong horses like that all uh all making their way, bubbling their way through the system. Uh it's exciting. And uh 
I, I, you know, I got, I'm going to jump over to Pete Crow Armstrong because very big fan there. Um, you know, I guess uh, true center fielder. And I, I know we heard that with Brandon Nimmo and the jury's still out there. I still think he could be a more than serviceable major league center fielder. But I mean, just browsing through basic numbers. I know it's high school. You can't take much from it. But um, I see a, a player very similar to, or at least his stats, very similar to a Brandon Nimmo um, on base. Um, you know, fielding is certainly a strong suit. Uh, the bat plays. Um, I think it was a really, really solid selection at number at their uh, their first pick, number nineteen. Um, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like he has the tools to to be a, a talent? I guess a a difference maker at the major league level. Yeah, to me, it's really going to come down to what his power ends up being. And, you know, I don't want him to sell out for it. I don't, and I think Nemo has more power probably than Pete Crow Armstrong projects to have, but mm-hmm. smooth swing, true, true center fielder. I think that he, I think he was the best defensive outfielder in the draft college, high school. He, he looks, he's major league ready in center field. So he's got the reads, he's got the timing, he's got a good enough arm. I think he's a stalwart there. He's got above average speed that I think will lead to him being able to steal some bases. And as long as he hits for a good contact, and like you said, similar to Nemo, he's really progressed with his strike zone judgment and his eye at the plate. So, yeah, I think he could be a potential impact player. We'll just see kind of how much power he could tap into. Like, is he just going to be kind of a slappy type of hitter at the big league level? But, you know, you have physical maturation to do too. So, some of those line drives he's hitting into the gap when he's 21 years old and he's put on 15 pounds, 20 pounds, you know, just naturally those, some of those just kind of sail out instead of falling down, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet short. So yeah, excited about the pick. Uh, I think getting him at 19 was a good value. I thought I had him as a top 15 player in the draft. I figured there's a good chance he would make it though, just based on, kind of what I was hearing as to what was going to happen throughout the draft. But I know the Diamondbacks were a team that I was kind of worried that if he was there, he was going to be a pick for them right in front of the Mets. And they ended up going with uh, Bryce Jarvis out of Duke instead, the right-handed pitcher. And, you know, Crow Armstrong just fits the Mets mold. High school bat or college arm, that's really all they're going to do in the first round. Since 2010, it's been all that except for Michael Conforto. Yeah, I was so, going to say Conforto's yeah. your outlier there. Yeah, and that was just because Conforto just fell in their lap. They weren't expecting him to be there. Just like, oh, he's here. I, I guess we should just do it. Uh, oh, yeah, best yeah. player available mentality, yeah. right? Exactly. So, But their philosophy typically is high school back, college pitcher. So Pete Crow Armstrong made a ton of sense. And like you said, similar to Nimmo and guys like that, the profile, he just, he just fits what the Mets look for. And teams in the MLB draft, kind of just develop a type and you could just kind of see they draft the same kind of guys kind of over and over and over again. And yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong just fits what the Mets do. Oh, sure. And I think they're looking at certain projectable tools, um, malleability as far as, uh, you know, coachability and stuff like that, because, you know, we, we've seen with this regime, um, they, they've kind of embraced or more so than the, than the groups in the past uh, embraced the, the the player development uh, aspect of analytics. And, you know, you kind of see that trickling down. You've seen their player development 
I guess kind of really, it's been impressive what they've done with, you know, going back to even like Dom Smith, like that they've made their first round picks works. And sure, you know, your high draft picks are always supposed to, you know, supposed to bubble up to the major league level. At least you would hope so. But um, they've done a very good job of, uh, of kind of guiding these guys through and, uh, you know, there's going to be peaks and valleys, but um, I think that uh, I know I said it with Jacob on the show a couple of weeks ago, last week. Um, Pete Carl Armstrong and his his background in, uh, I guess he, he does the the breathing and the yoga and all that fun yeah. stuff. I think it's it's going to prepare him very well for uh, for the ups and downs of, of the uh, of his climb through the minors. Yeah, no, for sure, and they they go for a type like you said, coachability. That's another thing that they that they've looked for, and your to your point on the player development, Brandon Nimmo. I mean, this was a kid that basically was in the middle of nowhere of Wyoming, didn't have high school baseball, played like Legion ball, which you you and I played Legion ball, right? So, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He played he played Legion ball, but he went to all American games and shined. And, you know, Dom Smith, his trials and tribulations that he went through, everything with his weight and just struggling from that perspective and then his ups and downs performance wise that you know he had an awesome year and then he had a not so good year and you know everyone kind of faded on him and the Mets stuck with him and really worked worked it out with him and now Dom Smith is a valuable member of the Mets whether he's you know not a starter or whatever that's okay he's he's a valuable piece of his franchise and you know maybe one day he's traded and you know that's probably better for like his overall career but you know, the credit to the player development, because you look at their first round picks from 2010 on, you know, every single one at least touched or is about to touch the major leagues. And yeah, it's it sounds insignificant, but with everything that goes into player development, you start in rookie ball, you you're taking these long bus rides everywhere, not staying in the best places, not getting the best food to eat. It, they, they make it difficult for you to make it. So making it period is something that I think doesn't get enough credit uh, as much as it should. And yeah, everyone, the Mets draft with their first round pick. I mean, David Peterson should be up with the Mets, you know, next time they play baseball at some point, uh, Jared Kalanick will be up with the Mariners. So before you, before you, before you go to 2019, obviously that's too recent. Everyone else is on the verge or have already appeared in the major leagues. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that speaks directly to, um, I guess, the talent evaluators at the amateur level in the Mets organization, seeing those tools and, uh, (laughs) I guess, uh, you know, harnessing that talent and, you know, kind of guiding these guys on their way. And it's uh, it's certainly impressive. It speaks to the um, to the skill set that the Mets scouting department and talent uh, evaluation department has and and play development. And, yeah, it's certainly cool to see. What's your take on on Green, the uh, the compensation pick for Wheeler? Super, super athletic, super, super raw. He he showed some more with the bat this year. But, you know, when you look at Pete Crow Armstrong, you know, he was he was playing on Team USA when he was 12. He was playing on Team USA when he was 15, when he was 18. Isaiah Green, he kind of got spotted by playing on the scout team against Team USA and just started dominating these kids. They were like, Who's this guy? And really, really sprung on the scene. Pretty smooth left-handed swing. I think he has he has some natural loft in it, and he certainly has a lot of maturation to do. But another just 
plus athlete. And that's what it really seems like with the top couple picks. The Mets focus on athletes. Pro Armstrong, obviously, we already talked about. Isaiah Green's just as good of an athlete as Pete Per Armstrong is. He just is a little, little more behind kind of on the overall game. He's just a huge projection pick. You know, a, a lot of people had him ranked higher than this. And Tommy Tanis, after the draft, when he had his uh, media call, he, he made it clear that, you know, we didn't think Isaiah Green should have been there at 69. So, you know, that's why we took him. And, you know, big projection pick, I think crazy boom bust just because he's so raw. But if you're looking at a boom, this is a speed demon that can play center field or shift to left field, whatever. Uh, Just another big time athlete with a projectable bat. So, yeah, no, definitely an exciting, exciting pick to round out there, you know, big top three. And now he signed for a little bit under slot as well, right? He did. And I was actually surprised. I did not expect that. But um, it just shows, again, to the Mets scouting. And at the end of the day, also, some of the draft is recruiting, too, with the area scouts that are constantly in contact with these kids. So the Mets area scout out there in California was obviously with on Isaiah Green probably early and built a relationship with him and his family. And earn the trust. And I think that's, that's how you get some of these negotiations done. I mean, last year with Matt Allen, if John Updike was not in the Mets organization, Matt Allen might not be in the Mets organization because John Updike built a relationship with Matt Allen, and his family back when Matt was a freshman or sophomore in high school. So it's, 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 it's really a long game scouting. So we always look year to year, right? Like we're looking at Pete Crow Armstrong and JT Ginn and Isaiah Green now, but these scouts have been trying to build up this relationship for the last two to three years on these kids. So yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a different dynamic, but that that's what I think I would attribute that to is I think the area scout just did an excellent job of building that relationship and setting up for Isaiah being willing to take that money. I mean, 850 grand's Okay. I mean, he's not, he's certainly uh, going to be happy with that, but a little under slot will, will help with the overall. Uh, draft there sure and now i guess um third round pick anthony walters from san diego state uh catcher matthew dyer from university of arizona um they both signed for well i guess uh walters took his twenty thousand. dyer took 350 yeah dyer got 350 which for a four-year college player dyer did pretty well for himself and he's an interesting profile the mets announced him as a catcher he didn't really play catcher much at, um, at Arizona because Austin Wells was the catcher who the Yankees took in the first round. And he's also not a catcher. I don't think Dyer's going to translate as a catcher at the next level, to be honest. He doesn't have the build for it. He's really tall and lanky. It just doesn't seem to fit to me. But maybe they, tr- they give it a shot uh, early on. But he showed the ability to play some third, some first, some outfield. Uh, Pretty good swing too. So, I, I I think Dyer ends up kind of a utility type player with that catching. If you could keep him, just you know, strap on the gear every once in a while just to keep it fresh. You could have an emergency catcher and not have to jam Jeff McNeil back there, who I think is the Mets' emergency catcher <laughs> now. If if push comes to shove, you have someone that actually has done it. So, yeah, yeah, and he a kind of interesting for your college player for sure. Oh, for sure. I know he raked last year at Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, his, his bat, his bat, 
Oh, wow. Yeah, his back can yeah. very well play at the, uh, you know, at the high minors. Let's see if that, you know, translates there. And, you know, me, who knows? Fourth year senior, we could see him next season if he does well. Well, yeah. if they, if they yeah. get some playing time and down in the minors at, at any point. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going to happen this year with that. I don't know if they're going to expand instructional leagues. I've heard that as a possibility of expanding that. So kind of more but it'd be more like intra squad games versus traveling around and facing people. And then there's also rumors of an expanded Arizona Fall League and maybe even a Florida Fall League if they get this coronavirus under under control. Um, so that way there's kind of two coasts for for some of these prospects to get some playing time. Because this is a killer for a lot of these kids. I mean, just think of all all the kids they drafted last year that we just talked about. You know, Brett Beatty and Matt Allen and Josh Wolf and all these guys. That this is a crucial year of development for players like that. And oh yeah, it's just wiped out. Just just absolutely crazy. Um, but hopefully they uh, figure this out and get get some play in this year. And if not, then it's kind of a skipped year, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes next spring. And what what is really interesting to me, kind of going back to JT Ginn, and this really just jumped in my head, is mm-hmm. I'm surprised there wasn't a team willing to jump on him earlier with the likelihood of this minor league season being canceled. Yeah, it's a wash. Yeah, JT Ginn got Tommy John in the spring. And yeah, it might be a couple months into next year, but he's not any further back in development than Pete Crow Armstrong, right? I mean... Yeah. He's not going to play either. So there, he, he just would be a couple months behind. So it's kind of a little surprising if you think about it that way that he even made it to where he did. Yeah. And, you know, for the Mets to scoop him up, I think it's savvy. And I think, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe the Mets, I'm sure they had their eye on him. He had to be yeah. on their board. Sure. And uh, what a and, gift that is, right? You get a first round yeah. talent to drop to you at 52. That's great. Yeah. And, I, I know a lot of people don't like to do this. And I know I've certainly talked to Mike Mayer over there at Metsmerize about it a little bit and, you know, give Brody Van Wagen some credit here because this is really where he shines. The scouts did all the work. The scouts told you who JT Ginn was, but he has really implemented an organizational strategy of aggressiveness in the draft since he got here. He showed it last year, showed it again this year. And I expect as long as he's at the helm, it's going to be his strategy. That's he's choosing quote unquote quality over quantity. So rather than just, you know, evenly distribute your money out throughout the five rounds and just try to be solid across the board, he said, no, let's try to get the best couple guys we can. And then the last couple picks, if you know, we'll, we'll go for some college kids with maybe lower ceilings and you know, that aggressive strategy is kind of one of the ways you build a quality farm system. And he certainly traded some guys. So he has some room, some room to make up to make it a quality farm system. But if he continues this level of aggressiveness and keeps a job for a couple more years, then this farm system could jump right up there really quick. Oh yeah. I, I think I, I certainly have faith in, in, in Brody's long-term plan. Um, he had to dig himself out of a really deep hole to start his yeah. tenure here. Oh, um, yeah. You know, Time will tell what that trade means for the rest of his, you know, we might not even find out what that trade might've meant for the rest of his plans because of what's going on now. But um, 
you know, I, I have to assume he had a plan going into that. And getting Diaz is huge because his potential is through the roof and uh, he's young and he's under team control. And that's all a great thing. Um, giving up Kalanick is going to hurt us for a long, long time. But moving forward, I mean, he's been OK. He, he's he's drafted well, like we spoke of. Um, he's, you know, I can't say that. I guess, quote unquote, replacing Zach Wheeler with Michael Waka and, um, oh, his name's not coming to me now. Uh, Rick Porcello. Um, you know, I can't say that's ideal, but I see the upside. I think that he's putting, uh, a coaching staff in place and a, and a a kind of a data analyst staff in place, um, to, to kind of unlock some some keys and maybe they see some things in some of these players they brought in and of course we know about the constraints the financial constraints that i'm sure they're under that are only being exasperated now by um uh by the 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 gap in in playing time or the hiatus i should say but you know uh, in a nutshell i really can't knock brody for what he's done sure he's had some low points but um sure i I do i do have faith in the long-term plan i think i say that with full confidence yeah. And, you know, he, I think he just wanted to be aggressive. I think he got the job and everyone was kind of ripping into him. And he's certainly aware of the public perception. He's very in, in tune with that. So he knew that, oh, the agent, what's the agent going to do? So yeah. he certainly has known Robinson Cano for what, 15 years, probably, and if not longer. So he had some confidence in what he was getting from Cano in the short term. And Certainly, Edwin Diaz was proving to be one of the best relievers in baseball, and who knew what would happen. But I think he just wanted to be aggressive out the gate, and he just got got. I guess right. I mean, it happens happens yeah. to everybody. Happens to everybody, right? I mean, every, hey, everyone, you know, he everyone has those deals. But then look at JD Davis. I mean, yeah, they unlocked something in JD Davis that the almighty Astros couldn't. So that you you're, you win some, you lose some. It just, I wish he kept Kelnick. It would have made me so happy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. And like you said, I think he, I think he does have a true long-term vision and it does appear that he is getting better at this job. I mean, it's oh, a job yeah. he hasn't had before. So he's, you, I think you can see clear improvements in what he's doing. Oh, for sure. And to overcome that level of scrutiny that he was under for the first, let's say the first year, and it was even more magnified by some of the moves that he made um, to get through that storm and still be here and still have the level of confidence that he does and still be doing all the, you know, the right things on the, on the back end as far as drafting well. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> throughout the off season, there were points that I thought Brody would, would really go in there and make a splash. And I think he, Considering the um, the temperature of uh, or the atmosphere that he's in right now, as far as um, you know, how much money the Mets are willing to spend, I think all in all he did okay. This team is set up to win. Um, losing Syndergaard it would have been a big hit, but uh, it appears you know that might not be uh, all too dramatic, uh, all too uh, detrimental of a of a thing because you know we're not going to get much of a season if a season at all, which is a perfect segue into what we're talking about next. Yeah. Um, so on Monday, uh, we were all expecting a player vote around 5 p.m. Uh, that player vote did go through, and the players, not unanimously, unanimously, but pretty darn close, 33 to 5, uh, rejected Major League Baseball's latest and probably final proposal. 
60 game regular season that would have started uh, July 20th, the latest, and ended September's 27th, the latest. Full prorated salaries, uh, $25 million player pool for the postseason, uh, expanded postseason, universal DH, which was, I guess, up in the air, depending on how many games they finalize on. But that's neither here nor there because it was rejected. So now everything is in the hands of Commissioner Rob Manfred. Joe, what's your level of confidence? I'm not even going to ask what's your level of confidence we're going to get baseball this year. What's your level of confidence that Rob Manfred handles this <laughs> this limelight uh, well? Uh, not in a, in a positive way at all. <laughs> not not high on Manfred handling this right, but I guess kind of a little in his defense. I think Jacob tweeted it a little while ago. He's in kind of a no-win situation, right? I mean, if he does 60 games, he pisses off one side that because they just rejected that, right? If he goes, yeah. he tries to implement any more, then he's pissing off the owners who he works for. So he's, he, or even if he did less than 60 games, pissing off the players, but like he's, you know, he's in a really tough spot. Um, as far as baseball overall happening, I think he's going to implement a season. I think COVID-19 is going to tell us if we have a baseball season or not, not my Rob Manfred. I mean, he could declare a season, but what were this two weeks ago, three weeks ago, what were the safest States in the country? They could have had, the whole season in Florida and Arizona and only those two states. And those two states are getting crushed right now. And Texas. Oh, Texas. Yeah, everything's great, the governor said. Uh, let's do all sports could come back and we could do 50% capacity in stadiums. No problem. They're getting thousands a day for the last week plus. And now their governor's like, oh, we might have to consider other alternatives. So, I mean... I think COVID-19 is going to tell us if we have a season. I firmly believe that Manfred will implement a season. If I had to guess, it'll be 60 games, 100% prorated. And a grievance will probably happen by the PA. And I'm interested to see if they could easily win that. Because if he ultimately what the March agreement was that he was able to implement a number of games that he saw fit at full proration. So if he says we're doing 60 games fully prorated, what leg do the players have to win a grievance, I guess? And I'm certainly on the player side on how MLB handled this. I mean, their offers up until the the final offer of 60 games was basically, hey, Tim, I'm going to give you a quarter. You say no. All right. How about two dimes and a nickel? No. Same thing. Or, or I'll give you five nickels. It was all the same thing. They just showed a, a different percentage and a different percentage of games. But yeah, I think I think it'll get implemented by him. Just COVID will tell us if we have baseball or not. That, that's what I think. Yeah, and I think MLB's um, continued, you know, non-starter of proposals and um, incessant stalling tactics. You know, they finally came to fruition. They got what they wanted. Um, play by our rules or don't play at all. Uh, at the end of the day, baseball being played is a plus. But right. what happens next? Um, you know, seeds seeds were planted over the last few months, and that's going to sow division, uh, to say the least. Um, over the next, you know, 18 months, uh, bubbling over, you know, of course, when the CBA expires. But so you have 
there was always a compromise there. What that middle ground was, we'll probably never know. But, you know, we can pretty much know with 100 percent surety that it was there. There was certainly a compromise that was always there. It seems to me that the league, instead of, you know, focusing on the progress of, of the game and getting things back to normal, they were more concerned with positioning themselves for what's to come next. And, um, you know, they dug their heels in and it's just, it's a bad look. And, you know, my phone's going off now as we're talking, it appears MLB has put out a, um, (laughs) has put out a statement Uh, in view, in view of uh, the players association's rejection, Major League Baseball, the clubs, I should say, have unanimously voted to proceed with the 2020 season under the terms of the March 26th agreement. The the provisions, uh, it says the provisions listed above, which were the universal TH for two years guaranteed money in the playoff pool, uh, forgiven salary advances. uh, Okay, so (laughs) let me get back to this. The provisions listed above will not be operative. In order to produce a schedule with a specific number of games, we're asking that the Players Association provide us with two pieces of information by 5 p.m. on Tuesday. The first is whether players will be able to report to camp within seven days. The second is whether players will agree on the operating manual, which contains the health and safety protocols necessary to give us the best opportunity to conduct and complete our regular season and postseason. So... The MLB, uh, I, that's that's wrong. That's actually wrong phrasing. Major League Baseball, <laughs> uh, they got what they wanted. They stalled and they stalled and they stalled and they got what they wanted. Yep. And, uh, you know, whether COVID wipes us out or not, they, uh, you know, the union pretty much conceded this fight you know, over a week ago. And they said, all right, guys, just tell us where and when. We've all heard that quote by now. And... MLB had what nine days to tell them where and when, and now yeah. it's Monday night, and now they're telling it like we could have had a seventy-five game season, we could have had a seventy-game yeah. season. Yeah, it's just um, it's a bad look, pal. It's For a sure. it's a bad look. But yeah. hey, it looks and, like we're and, gonna get some baseball. And and let, let's also be a little fair because I think you and I are in general agreement on where we stand, players or owners. I think we're we're very similar. But, oh, I'm biased. No, I'm yeah, most definitely but, biased. <laughs> yeah, but me, me too, a little bit. So, but let's, <laughs> let's let's throw a little at the players here too. I mean, you said when and where, and all you want is prorated salaries. They offered you prorated salaries, and then you said we want ten more games, and then they said no to that, and then you rejected the ten less games too. Um, I, I think it was. I think it's a, a bad look for both sides at this point. Um, I think they both kind of to your point you made just a couple minutes ago, they just both dug their heels in and everything was made with the intention of the CBA. All right, we can't lose this one because we don't want to set a precedent going into the next CBA negotiation. So I think they both were stubborn and were not going to really budge on how they felt. But I I wish they could have just found the middle ground in an agreement of 65-66 games and – they could have done that last week and we still could have set up the schedule to make it work. And yeah. what I think I saw something the other day that it would have been like an extra two point something million dollars per team to have five or six more games. Like, yeah, is that, is that really what we're fighting over? Like a bench player salary? They, like, they said, they said the gap was, uh, was like 250 to 300 million, which works out to like eight and a half to $10 million per team. And that was over uh, the 10 game gap. Yeah. So yeah, just about that. 
that's crazy. That that's crazy that they both let it get there. Um, it is sh- shame, on Joe- both. shame on both. To be honest with you, I, I side with the players because I think MLB was, did this all on purpose, and the players were just trying to honor kind of the March twenty sixth agreement, which is prorated salaries. They weren't asking for much more, but just shame on both of them that they that it had to come to this point, and you know that 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 really the reason was for the CBA. Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I I do find it very hypocritical that Major League Baseball was very quick to uh, to know and void the March agreement when it was convenient to them because yep. you know they had an agreement with the players in place, but now they're they're ready to invoke the agreement to impose a season. That's yeah, just have, I find that very in, hypocritical. They had it in their back pocket, but they didn't really yeah. want to use it. But they're like, all right, fine, I'm going in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah, but they went in their back pocket. To, to say, oh, well, you know, this agreement that we made doesn't really hold water because this part of the agreement says it doesn't. It just yeah. it doesn't sit well. And, and you know, Obviously. Manfred's a lawyer. Rob Manfred's yeah. a lawyer. And you know that he put that yep. language in there just for this purpose. And that's fine. Yep. And, yep. you know, I think the players did all they could and they realized that they were getting nowhere. And, uh, you know, the, the bickering over the last few days over over menial shit. Excuse my language. Hey, we can curse on this show. What do I care? Um, (laughs) You know, in my head and in my heart, it makes me, I really do feel like the owners and even more so the league itself, who's a, you know, 13 to $15 billion a year industry. um, They could foot this bill. They could foot the bill and say, all right, everybody, we're going to foot the bill. Just like a good company boss would. Like, oh, shit, times are tough. Guys, don't worry about it. Everything's good because we got you back because we're a multi-million or multi-billion dollar corporation. Um, you just don't feel that love. And, right. you know, it's, uh, it, it, you know, we're arguing semantics at this point. But, um, yeah, it, it, it is quite the conundrum. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame that baseball, I mean, look at how every other sport is seemingly cooperating and making things work. Like, NFL makes all this money and they're just going to, Bite the bullet for the year. I mean, it is what it is. And the other sports, granted, you know, NHL and NBA basically had their seasons. So yeah. their, their guys got paid. But yeah, still, once the money's off the table, it's very easy to come to an agreement. True. But with the NFL, the money's not going to be off the table. You don't hear any problems there. They're just like, yep, we're going. You know, you just, you just wish that, you know, MLB. And I, I'm worried that it's Rob Manfred and Tony Clark seemingly doing this next CBA, too, because they went through all this over, like you said, the $8 million a team or whatever it was. They mm-hmm. went through all, all this for that. What, what exactly. are you going to do when the CBA comes up? I'm, I'm not looking forward to that one because you, I think there's a, a super genuine chance of a work stoppage. I really oh, do. for sure. I think everything's pointing that way now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, baseball. My, you know, my first love, my you know, favorite sport still and always will be. But man, it's in the dumpster right now, and it it makes me sad. <laughs> oh, it's it's you know this has all been a, a big big black eye on the game, but yeah. um, you know you have to hope, and this is the optimist in me speaking, that they're going to realize, oh, we're doing some irreparable damage right now. We really have to get our shit together, and um, and hopefully you know kind of use this as a learning experience, but. That's really overly hopeful. I can't believe I just said it out loud because you know it's not going to play out like that. <laughs> yeah, probably but, not. But I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to join you on the hopeful side. Let's let's. All right. 
optimism abound. Yeah. Moving forward then, because uh, the Mets are still potentially for, well, the Mets are for sale, but the Mets have potentially um, a number of new suitors uh, attached to the, uh, I start with J-Lo. I go J-Lo A-Rod. I think I'm more excited about her taking the reins yeah. than him. I think I she's had J-Rod. 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 See, I think, I think Jennifer Lopez has had a much more successful run in her field. Um, certainly an untarnished one. I think J-Lo heads up that group. I think she runs the show, but that's neither here nor there. They have, <laughs> they have some new funding. Um, and they got, it's some, some pretty big money that's being, uh, thrown their way. Um, go ahead. What do you know, Joe? Why don't you go ahead and, and, and give us your, your, uh, your insight on these new developments. Yeah. So it appears uh, this morning it came out, uh, NY post maybe. No, yeah, it no, was Darren post. Ravel. Darren Ravel. Right. Darren Ravel had Mike Ripoli first. So uh, Mike Ripoli, the founder of vitamin water and body armor, uh, he's apparently ready to join up with J-Rod. And he has an estimated net worth of one billion dollars. And it was when it came out this morning about Ripoli, it also said that A-Rod, J-Lo were looking for two partners. Because one partner was not necessarily going to be enough because I'm sure, you know, J-Rod, as much money as, you know, those two have, they aren't like a blip on the radar with some of these other, you know, moguls that run sports teams. So they needed a couple investors and they get Mike Rapoli. That's certainly a good start. Now, word is from Charles Gasparino at Fox Business, Vincent Viola who is the owner of the Florida Panthers in the NHL, uh, self-made billionaire, U.S. Army veteran, estimated net worth of $2.4 billion, might we'll be that, that other partner. So you might be looking at J-Rod and two guys with a net worth of $3.5 billion between them, give or take. That's, that's a serious contender for buying this team. I mean... I don't I don't know how many suitors there really were. I think Jeff Wolpon was certainly uh exaggerating when he said, Oh, there's four suitors. I think he just counted each person, even if they're teamed together as individuals. But uh, <laughs> oh Jeff. Yeah, oh Jeff. But between them, this is a serious bid. Uh, you know, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, his team there that own basically a team in every sport, or at least a percentage of a team in every sport, except baseball. It seems like their interest was more on a, uh, I listened to your interview, of course, uh, with Laura and. Yeah. Laura Goldman, big yep. shout out to Laura Goldman. Big who called this on, She called this on the show. She said, Hey, yeah. Roger, they're really shopping for big backers. It's going to happen. She called yeah. it big shout yeah. out to Laura. Yeah. Greatest of all time. Yeah, she, <laughs> she was on it, but like she said, Josh Harris and that team might have only been looking to get in on like in place of Vincent Viola, let's just say like maybe Josh Harrison's team were more interested in being part of a group and not we're going to own the team. Um, so I was even wondering if Josh Harris was going to come up as that third person, but it seems like Vincent Viola might be the person stepping up and, you know, is Stevie Cohen lurking in the background? I'm not getting my hopes up for that. I'm I'm sure he'd like to own the Mets. Um, I know that the way the negotiations ended with at the last time, he left some sour grapes in MLB's mouth too a little bit. I mean, I think 
you and I probably lean who we think kind of blew up that negotiation, but <laughs> MLB doesn't fully agree is my understanding. And they certainly put some of it on, on Mr. Cohen. So uh, it'd be nice to have that $14 billion net worth. One owner loves the Mets, loves baseball, all that fun stuff. The show billions based on him, all that great stuff about the kind of guy he is reckless. He'll he'd sign Mookie Betts, JT Rail Mudo, and then signed Syndergaard and everyone's everyone signed. It's no problem, but yeah. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think I'm start. I, I really didn't take J Rod seriously. I really didn't. Oh, I, I did. am now. I am. Yeah. Now. I, 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 I kind of did. I, I, you know, I certainly look at um his rivalry with Jeter as a big uh, proponent of all this. I think that, you know, Oh, Derek, you want to own the Marlins? I'm going to buy a New York team. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that competition is still alive and well, even if they're not "quote unquote" friends anymore. Whatever, um, I, I'm I would I would be fine. You know, at this point, I think just and you know we can go on about the Will Ponds. I'm not going to do that, but um, I think it's just it's time for a change. A change of pace is, is absolutely necessary. There's no changing the narrative at this point. I don't think I said this with Laura. I don't think a World Series could change the narrative at this point, but no. um, it didn't. I mean, they made it to the World Series, and it still didn't really change a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just time for a change, and whoever is willing to step in, uh, whether it be the 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 Lopez Rodriguez group, uh, whether it be Steve Cohen, who I, I do yeah. believe he's still lurking. I believe his he sincerely wants this team. Um, I just believe that the hurdles are a little bit higher than they were, you know, six months ago. Um, I wouldn't count it out. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Laura on that. I think uh, when he wants something, he gets something, and yeah. until he's told no, I, I don't see him you know, relenting, but, uh, you know, we shall see. I think any news is good news at this point, man. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's going to signal a new day. Yeah. It certainly seems like there's progress. There's no question progress coming on ownership and, you know, the will ponds, just their financial situation is what it is. You know, yeah. I think, you know, Jeff is very intrusive and all that, but everyone that I know within the organization around the organization, it's like, I don't think they go about it the right way, but they genuinely want to win. They just oh, don't think, have, yeah, they just don't have the, their financial situation. They never rebounded from Madoff yeah. and they are not going to be able to rebound from COVID-19. This season yeah. loss for the Mets is a killer. I mean, look at what the report was a couple of days ago that their stadium is city field basically worth nothing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, it's value fell to, what was it like basically trash or whatever the term was like right it's above their, trash or something. Yeah. Like their credit grade is, uh, is below is trailing like, like a trunk bond. It's, it's trash. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it makes you wonder how they ever turned down two and a half billion dollars for this team without the network. Uh, it makes and you the, wonder a lot of things. And the five year plan and, and the five year transition where they said you could just stay and do what you want basically for five years on my money. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. You crazy, know, crazy. They turned that down. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, I don't think anybody could have anticipated things going down as they have in the last six months. But uh, no. yeah, um, you know, it's the, as as the world in flushing turns. Yeah, it never never stops. But it, seems it like never stops. It seems like they're on the path, and I'm really excited by this A Rod group because A Rod and J Lo really have that vision. Uh, I, I 
think it was in the article where Robert Kraft was mentioned as the Patriots right. owner was mentioned as someone that might partner with them. How you know they want to turn City Field into not just a baseball stadium, like an entertainment, you know, facility and around the stadium, you know, everyone's one will it's point to get redone. And there's always, you know, it's happening, it's not happening. And, you know, you know, they want to turn that into like it needs to be a spot. Like, man, when I went to Pittsburgh, how awesome just around PNC Park is. I want an environment like that. I don't want to be looking both ways as I'm driving down the street around, you know, right next to the stadium. So, uh, no, just excited about the, I'm really excited about the potential for his groups. I think you have A-Rod and J-Lo who are going to look at it from the entertainment perspective and really making it more of a, you know, more of an experience for people because, you know, you and I are the diehard baseball fans, but you have, you know, general fans that, just want to want some fun entertainment. And I think that's where A-Rod and J-Lo will really step up. And then you have the financial backing of a Rapoli and a Vincent Viola. Now you have, you know, three and a half million or billion net worth of money. You're talking about a team that can spend. I mean, the, the, the highest net worth for an owner in MLB, I believe is the Giants owner. And it's a little over five billion. And he doesn't spend like crazy because, uh, you know, it's his money, I guess, or whatever. He, it's not what he wants to do. But, you know, that the Mets are certainly would be owned by someone with significantly better financial resources than what they have. And that's all that we could ask for, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I think, uh, yeah, I think just it's good. It's it's an infusion of new blood. It's going to be great for the fan base. It's going to be great for everybody involved. It's going to bring new fans. It's uh. Yeah, it's exciting. Exciting times. But uh Joe, I think we've we've touched on all of our bases tonight. What do you got going on over at SNY? You guys got anything coming out? Uh right now, just covering when baseball's coming back is one of one of the main things. Yeah, this has been tough. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of tough and taking up kind of everything. But no, certainly gonna be touching on the draft picks. Um, should be able to get some interviews in and all that good stuff. But yeah, just Stay tuned, SNY.tv, and uh, look look for my stuff and follow me on Twitter at PSL2Flushing, and that is T-O, not the number two. And people always ask me what it is. PSL, Port St. Lucie, is where minor league careers start. Flushing is where you hope for it to end. So PSL to Flushing, that's where it came from. And, yeah, give me a follow, and, you know, let's let's talk baseball. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like, like we said earlier, it looks like we're getting, uh, we're getting some sort of a season this year. Uh, uh, COVID-19 notwithstanding, but yeah. uh, we shall see. But Joe, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a blast and uh, we'll certainly have to do this again soon. Yeah, Tim, my pleasure. It was awesome talking to you. Awesome. All right, guys, you know where to find us. We will see you next time. Uh, I believe Andrew Batafrano is coming back on the show. We'll have some uh, some updates from the MILB side of things. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Joe, thanks again, man. And uh, let's go Mets. Yeah!